Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Mosaic Church. It's good to see you all today. Happy Father's Day. As uh, we were watching that uh, video this morning, I was thinking about my own dad, who I believe is actually watching online right now, so hey, dad. Um, But I was thinking about my dad had a really rough task of raising me when I was a teenager. Uh, I mean, God bless him. If he ever earned his sainthood, it was when I was a teenager growing up, because I was a rebellious teenager. Let me just give you a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about when I say that. I'll never forget the first time I tasted real freedom. And I say that because the first time I tasted real freedom, it only lasted about 48 hours. So let me take you back in time a little bit to the year 1995. Now, some of the kids in this room are like, oh my gosh, like, you're old. I know, I get it, I'm old. Um, But in 1995, that's not when I was born, I was turning 16 in 1995, and I had in my hot little hand my driver's license. And my 1979 Datsun 210 was my chariot to freedom. No longer would I have to suffer this horrible indignity of having my parents, can you imagine, drop me off at my friend's house. I mean, the shame of it all. No longer would I have to rely on somebody else's schedule to get me where I wanted to go. No, I could now go wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted. That is, of course, as long as I didn't go outside of a 10-mile radius of my house, I was back by 9 p.m., and I maintained my grades in school. But none of that mattered, right? Like, I had my freedom. And uh, that freedom, though, wouldn't last very long, because within the first 24 hours of having my license, I was already scheming about how I was going to abuse that privilege. The plan was very simple. I was going to tell my mom and dad that I was going to go spend the night at my friend's house who lived five miles away when in fact I was going to drive a carload of some of my best friends 30 miles south to a house party in South Denver. It was a foolproof plan in my teenage brain. There was no way my parents were smart enough, so I thought, to figure out what I was scheming to do. I was going to get away with it. I was going to go to that party that I wanted to go to and still retain my freedom. The problem was that my sweet, sweet mother, who we were sharing the Datsun together, I did not know that every time she would get up or go out in the car, she would hit the little mileage trip reset button every time she filled up the car to track her mileage. And that day, when I was going out to that party, I didn't know she had filled up the car and pressed that button back to zero. So I went on my merry way, I went to the party, I thought no one was the wiser until my mother used the car the next day. And she got in there and saw that there were over 60 miles on her trip meter 
and not the 10 that I had promised her. My foolproof plan was no longer very foolproof anymore, right? And that freedom that I had, it was gone within 48 hours. I was grounded for a month. Now, as I look back on that story, I have to kind of laugh and cringe at how naive I was in that moment. In my 16-year-old mind, I believed that my freedom was a means to kind of achieve my own selfish pursuits. And in this particular case, I used that freedom to deceive my parents. I lied about where I was going, and I endangered the lives of four of my best friends all so that I could go to a party that I wanted to be at. In other words, my freedom was all about me. And here's the thing. I, I kind of laugh at Teenage Nick, but as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that there's not a lot of difference between Teenage Nick and Adult Nick. Obviously, the hair is a difference at this point, but there's not a lot of difference between Teenage Nick and Adult Nick, especially when it comes to how I exercise my freedom in Christ. And it's something that the Apostle Paul wrote about in the book of Galatians. More often than not, I use my freedom in Christ as a means to justify actions and behaviors that I know are selfish, instead of using it for what Jesus intended. Now, before I unpack this anymore, we need to pause here for a moment and add some definition. Because I realize that for people in this room, or for those who are watching online, that when somebody says freedom in Christ, that can be one of those Christianese phrases, right? that gets thrown around in evangelical circles, hey, brother, be free in Christ. But nobody really has any idea what they're talking about, right? They just throw this word out there and use it. So in order to get us all on the same page, I think we need to first be able to define what is freedom in Christ. And to do so, we need to revisit last Sunday's message on the book of Galatians. If you watched online or you were here in person, Pastor Jason did an incredible job of unpacking what the simplicity of the gospel means. And together, we learned that human beings everywhere and at every time are in revolt against God. And that because of that, we stand under God's judgment. And so while we stand in God's judgment because of our sin, amazingly, God also stands over us in love. And that is the good news of the gospel, that God, in his love through Jesus Christ, namely his death and resurrection on a cross, dealt with my sin and reconciled me to him. And that is the simplicity of the gospel message, that through Jesus, God did for me what I cannot do for myself. He saved me. There is nothing that I can ever do that will ever earn God's love. And there is nothing when I receive that message into my heart that I will ever do that will ever take me outside of God's love. That is the simplicity of the gospel message. And it's in this simplicity that we're able to understand what it means to be free in Christ. So from a biblical perspective, when we say free in Christ, we mean that we are free from the tyranny of having to ever be good enough to earn my way to God. I'm free from guilt. I'm free from condemnation. I am free from the power and penalty of sin. 
And we receive that freedom as a gift from Jesus in faith. So now going back to what I was talking about, when I say I use my freedom in Christ as a means to achieve my own selfish pursuits, what I am saying is that there are times in my life when I use my freedom from guilt, my freedom from condemnation, my freedom from having to earn my way to God as a license to excuse behavior, actions, and attitudes that I know are contrary to a life in Christ. And this willful exploitation of my God-given freedom often follows the very same logic that teenage Nick had. Namely, my freedom in Christ is all about me. It's all about me. Because I'm able to justify my favorite sins and my selfish behavior even when it may hurt others all under the banner of God's all-encompassing grace Love and forgiveness. Can I be real for a moment? Just be honest with you guys? There is recently in my life, I've been dealing with some anger and unforgiveness in my heart. I know it's not the most pastorly thing to admit, but I'm going to be honest with you up here. I've been dealing with anger and unforgiveness in my heart towards some people who wounded me very deeply in ministry. And I'm going to tell you, let me be clear, I didn't do anything wrong to deserve what happened to me. I was unjustly wronged by these people. And selfishly, I do not want to forgive them. I don't know if you guys can uh, relate to this, but there is this weird uh, thing where I just want to let that anger burn inside of me. There's something about it that just feels good to my flesh, even though I know it is so destructive. There, I, I like to be able to, at times, imagine what I might say or do if I actually saw those people again face to face. And I'd like to give you a hint. I would lay hands on them, but it wouldn't be for prayer. Okay? <laughs> but as a Christ follower, Jesus calls me to love and forgive my enemies. So rather than actually deal with the ugliness and the brokenness and the mess that is going on in my own heart, it's easier to exploit my freedom in Christ to say that God loves me and I'm forgiven, so it's okay. Does that make sense? The truth is, guys, that there are times when I use my freedom in Christ to achieve my own selfish pursuits and justify sin in my life. And now I know that this is a room full of really good Christians, right? And this is nothing that you guys would ever, ever struggle with. But I just wonder if maybe, just maybe, there's one or two of you in this room who might be able to relate with what I'm talking about this morning. In my personal and pastoral experience, I've come to learn that my hidden sins, or hidden sins, the ones that are oftentimes our favorite sins, are most often the ones that we allow to exist under the false banner of our freedom in Christ. These sins and broken patterns of thought and life can range from anything from pride to rebellion to bitterness to fear, lying, greed, envy, gossip, pornography, addiction, 
and many others. Whatever the sin is, the bottom line is that most often when we use our freedom in Christ to exploit that sin, it's not because we lack holy conviction on the matter. It's because we've grown accustomed to and comfortable with the stench of sin in our spiritual lives. It's like the old saying goes, I want to have my cake and eat it too. When we use our freedom in Christ to justify sin, we're saying, I want my Jesus, but I want my sin too. Or maybe there are those in this room today that you've used your freedom in Christ to justify a particular sin because you are tired of fighting. You're tired of fighting. Perhaps this sin you've tried over and over and over again to have victory over this sin and over and over and over again you've been defeated. So instead of continuing to fight, you've chosen to claim your freedom in Christ as a means to resigning yourself to that sin's lingering presence in your life. If that is you this morning, I want you to hear me for just a moment. I understand. If that is you this morning, I want to tell you that I know what it feels like to grow weary of the battle. I want you to hear from me this morning that I know what it's like to try and hide behind my freedom in Christ as a means to shield myself from repeated defeat. But I also want to tell you this morning that that is you. That Jesus did not give us his freedom that we would wave it like a white flag over our heads in surrender any time we face a tenacious or unrelenting sin in our lives. Jesus gave us that freedom that by his strength, by his grace, and by his mercy, we could have victory. You can overcome. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Still for others in this room today, maybe you're listening and you're still wondering, man, I don't know if there's areas in my life where I am exploiting my freedom in Christ to justify sin in my life. I want to pause for just a second today. Everyone in the room, I want us to pause. And I want to invite Jesus into this holy moment to put a finger on the things that we might be excusing or justifying in our freedom in Christ. And I don't do that this morning because I want you to feel bad. I'm not on a sadistic mission up here to make you feel bad because of things that you can't deal with or you haven't dealt with in your life. I'm doing that because I believe that every one of us, to one degree or another, exploits our freedom in Christ to justify a sin. I'm saying that because I believe that we can't get better until we know what's making us sick. I'm saying that because we can't truly walk in freedom until we know how we're exploiting that freedom. Now, there may be those of you in this room today or those that are watching online that look at this and hear this, and you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing yet. And if that's you, I want to say that is okay. The mosaic is a safe place for you to come and explore that spiritual journey. But with this moment of silence, Instead of maybe asking Jesus, which you can, but maybe just take it as an opportunity to examine the areas in your own life where you're using your, your freedom to trample over other people's needs. You're using your desires to trample over other people's needs. So if you would, let's pause for just a moment and ask Jesus, let's invite Jesus to speak to the areas of our life. Would you pause with me?
Jesus, we thank You for the gift of freedom that we have through You. We are free from the tyranny of having to ever be good enough to earn Your love because of Your death and resurrection. But Lord, we also know that as imperfect human beings, we have a propensity to twist our freedom to accommodate the sin in our lives and justify selfish behavior. We ask that you would reveal in the name of Jesus, God, those areas in our lives where we have exploited our freedom that we may in turn learn to truly walk free in you as you intended. Amen. So the question has become that if we have been given that freedom, this amazing gift in Christ, how is it that God intends us to use it? Luckily, we're not the first people to actually have to wrestle with this question. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians addresses how Christ intends us to use this. So if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible apps, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5 and we'll see what the Apostle Paul has to say. As you turn there, I want to set the scene by sharing with you one of my all-time favorite movies, Braveheart. You thought I was going to say Star Wars. <laughs> yes, Star Wars is one of my favorites, but Braveheart is one of my favorite movies. And if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, you know it's about the Scottish patriot William Wallace. Mel Gibson starred and directed in this movie in 1995 about the Scottish revolt of the 1400s. And at one point in the movie, Wallace prepares a ragtag band of rebels to go into battle against an English army that is larger and way more prepared than they are. And in one of the most famous scenes in the movie, Wallace addresses his men, and I'm not going to speak this in a Scottish accent, but I will do my best to portray the, the force that Wallace did. He says, I am William Wallace, and I see before me today a whole army of countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You, is, you have come here as free men, and free men you are. But what will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? And one of the soldiers in the front row eyes this vast army, the, the, the English that is arrayed across the valley, and he answers, fight that? No way. We'll run, and we'll live. And Wallace says, I, I, I have to eat some Scottish accent in that, right? I fight and you will die, run and you will live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you trade all those days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they may never take our... Yes. Wallace's stirring words remind me of the Apostle Paul's words in the book of Galatians. Like Wallace, Paul is asking the question, what will you do with your freedom? Or more appropriately, what will you do with your freedom in Christ? Over the last few weeks, we learned that the Galatian church, the non-Jewish believers, were under pressure from their Jewish counterparts to follow Christ in faith, but also to follow Jewish ceremonial customs and laws. Namely, they were being taught that in order to become a Christian, they had to believe in Jesus in faith, but also be circumcised. Now, as you can imagine, 
that was causing a lot of confusion and stir within the Galatian church. And to be honest, I can't blame them. If somebody came to me and said, in order to be a Christian, Nick, you have to be circumcised as an adult, I don't know that I would be lining up to follow Jesus either, right? I mean, I'm just being honest. But aside from this intense confusion that was being caused within the church, it was also leading some of the Christ followers, some of the Christians, to exploit their freedom in Christ to create friction and strife within the church. And in verse 15 of chapter 5, Paul says that these believers were actually using their freedom to bite and devour one another. And the imagery that Paul employs here is that of a pack of wild animals. Like a feral dog, they were believers who were selfishly consumed with meeting their own needs, no matter what the cost was to other people. Thankfully, though, for the Galatian believers and for us today, chapter 5 in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul also resolutely defines how we are to use our freedom in Christ. And so check out what he says here, beginning in verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law, not the whole law, can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul makes it clear here in Galatians that our freedom in Christ is not freedom to justify sin. It is freedom from sin. Biblical freedom does not cater or yield itself to our selfish desires. It seeks to destroy them. And the reality is that when we exploit our freedom in Christ to indulge our sinful nature, we're not free at all. But instead, we're enslaved to our sin, and it's like trying to feed a beast that can never be satisfied. Who in here remembers the old chips, uh, Lay's Chips uh, slogan, I bet you can't eat just one? Rick probably remembers that. Rick remembers, I got a hand back there. Um, not only is it an ingenious slogan for a potato chip, but it also makes an excellent descriptor for sin. Because sin never stops at just one. It always wants more. It always wants what's next. It always desires and never can be satisfied. And that's why it's so insidious of us to claim our freedom in Christ is a means to justify sinful behavior. When we do so, we're not free at all. We're not free. We're enslaved. And so how should we use our freedom in Christ? Paul says that we should use our freedom to serve one another in love. And if you stop and think about Paul's words here, they sound like a bit of an oxymoron, right? Like Paul, in the one sense, is saying you are free from servitude of sin, but use that freedom to serve others. In Christ, we are going from servanthood, servitude to sin to servanthood of others. We use our freedom to serve. It's crazy, right? Like it's this upside-down principle of God's kingdom. So why is it then that a love which serves the needs of others is that the only true way to express our Christian freedom? Or better yet, why is the call to love and the call to freedom so synonymous? 
And it's because that love is not motiv- is motivated out of our ability to share our fullness with others. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that love does not seek its own. In other words, love is not selfish. And so when we love, we are not enslaved to use things or people to fill that emptiness. Jesus comes into our heart and fills everything that we need. All that emptiness. And I don't have to use people or situations to fill that void. Love is the overflow of that fullness that Jesus creates in our heart. And therefore, love is the only behavior that we can do in freedom. You guys, when God frees us from guilt, from condemnation, and from the tyranny of having to earn our way to Him, the only motive we have left is to serve others out of that fullness that God has given us. When God fills our emptiness with forgiveness, with help, with guidance, and with hope, He frees us of the bondage of having to accumulate things or to manipulate people. When God is enough and we are truly free, then we have no choice but to use our freedom to serve others in love. True freedom has no choice to shine forth love the same way the sun has no choice to shine forth light each morning. But when we use our freedom in Christ to exploit our sinful desires and our sin, it's like a vacuum cleaner. And all it does is it just sucks and sucks and sucks. And when we think that vacuum cleaner can't take any more in, the bag's going to pop. Somebody takes out the bag and puts in a new one. The Galatians... Paul's words in Galatians are there. They're written to instruct us, to remind us that as Christ followers, we are to use our freedom in Christ to serve others in love, not as a reason to exploit and fulfill and justify our selfish desires. In other words, our freedom in Christ is not about me. Our freedom in Christ is focused on we. It's not about me. It's focused on we. And how are we to express that freedom that God has given us? Paul says it's in loving others as you love yourself. Now, we live in a very me-first culture in America, right? We live, I think all of us can probably agree that it's not hard to go and find a lot of selfish people out there in our culture who put themselves first in all things. Go get what you want. And when people hear this verse, it's common in the church to refer to this verse as a means of self-love. In other words, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And most commonly, some Christians today will assume that to love yourself and that self-love is expressed in self-esteem. If you've ever heard that or believe that, I'm going to tell you this morning that it's wrong. As you look in Scripture, Moses And Paul, but most importantly, Jesus, knew something very vital about us as human beings. And that is that we have no problem loving ourselves. We don't have, they don't have to command it. It's something that comes natural to us. And so in that, you want to, when we're talking about that self-love and self-esteem, that you shall love your neighbor as you already love yourself. It's that idea that when you love your neighbor, you shall love them as you already love yourself. And self-love and the 
um, they assume that it's self-esteem but not is self-interest. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, self-love means strong interest that you have in your own health, in your own safety, in your own happiness. Therefore, loving your neighbor as yourself is not a command to love yourself. It's a command to take that natural, already built-in desire to look out for yourself and use that as a measuring rod for how you're going to choose to love others. In other words, when I'm hungry, when I'm hungry, I want to use my love in Christ to share somebody with somebody else. Let me start that over. <laughs> I got that mixed up. When I see somebody who's hungry, I want to feed them as much as I want to be fed. That's what it means to love somebody as we love ourselves. When I see somebody that is struggling with fear, I want to love them as I love myself as much as I love not struggling with fear. And when I see somebody that, if for students in the room, I have a student and a friend that wants to ace a test, I want them to ace a test as much as I want to ace a test. When I'm stalled on the side of, or see somebody stalled on the side of the road, I want to love them and help them as much as I'm glad not to be stalled on the side of the road. When Jesus, in, when I have this relationship with Christ, I want to share that love with my neighbor as much as I'm glad to receive it. We use our freedom and creativity and perseverance to do the good things for others that we would do for ourselves. We care about what happens to others as much as we care about what happens to us. Just stop and think for a moment the world that we live in that is filled with divisiveness, that is filled with distrust, what that world would look like if we honestly stopped to try and love people the way we love ourselves. What would that world look like? It would be a world full of, I believe, incredible joy where the promise and presence of Jesus would radiate in our communities and beyond. When we say, love your neighbor as you love yourself, we're talking about the kind of radical love that we say is mosaic to change our communities. That is the love that we are aiming for. A love, a love that loves others the way we love ourselves. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.